0: think one hundred percent.
1: I think these are historic times. I think that these times will determine the weak from the strong. And I feel like we come from, as a people, a very strong history of endurance. And to me, there's not a time to just bury our heads in the sand when times get rough or we're facing a pandemic.
0: That's Crystal Hansley, the founder and CEO of We Solar Incorporated. She is our guest today. And I am Rev. Yearwood, your host of the coolest show. So I'm excited uh, for this for this show here today because I get to introduce someone who, one, went to one of the most amazing uh, black colleges in the country. Howard University, and uh, that is none other than uh, Crystal Hansley. Crystal, how are you?
1: I'm well. Thanks for having me on, Rev. How are you today?
0: I'm doing. I'm doing great. I'm doing awesome. Uh, Crystal Hansley is the founder and chief executive officer of Solar. As CEO, Crystal brings affordable and accessible community solar energy to under-resourced communities in Baltimore and assist commercial properties with energy efficiency. Before founding We Solar, Crystal was the director of government and community relations for Neighborhood Sun, a leading community solar energy enterprise in Maryland. In this role, Crystal helped thousands of low to moderate income families save hundreds annually on their electricity bills across the state. Before transitioning to the sustainability industry, Crystal was a Capitol Hill staffer. She is the former community affairs liaison for U.S. Representative Eleanor Holmes Norton, which needs to be the 51st state of the union. Yes. <laughs> and former program manager for the Senate Democratic Diversity Initiative at the office of the majority leader, Harry Reid, who I know is an avid. Uh, listener to the cooler show and supports hip hop caucus down there in Nevada. Uh, Crystal, believe it though, he sent me he sent me an email one day. So I got I got I got the receipts for that. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Crystal is on the steering committee for Baltimore People's Climate Movement and on the board of directors for the Maryland Baptist Age Home. Dazz United organization and the Freedom Advocates Celebrating Ex Offenders Inc. Crystal received a Bath of Arts in political science from none other than Howard University. She's a native of Brooklyn, New York, and is grateful for the community leaders in Baltimore who welcomed her with open arms. Crystal, yeah. um, I just gave your introduction, but in true Howard U fashion, who is Crystal Hansley?
1: Um, I would say just a daughter of um, the South and the Caribbean. I was raised by my grandparents, so very humble beginnings. Um, someone who is, you know, dedicated to furthering tomorrow and making sure that there's a future. You see what's going on with the floods in Maryland, DC, um, the wildfires in California. And I think, you know, out of the 40,000 asks, when we bring in the racial injustice um, issues that we're facing as well, one of the asks was equity. And so one of the solutions on all front is creating, um, I think it's the solutions already here, but tapping into solutions like community solar Um, that can mobilize underserved representative communities as well as fight climate change together and bring that intersectionality. And I think there needs to be more voices that's leading the forefront like yourself um, and millennials um, that can be um, at that vortex of leading the way. And so through my background with politics and obviously getting my start through Neighborhood Sun, I saw where there could be an opportunity um, for my voice to um, be amplified in the community solar world, um, to being, you know, being in a black woman as well as being a fighter for climate change um, through community solar as a solution um, to combat these macro issues that we're facing
0: today. Mm. You said a lot there. Um, let me break some of that down. Can okay. we so start with community solar? What is community solar?
1: Community Solar is a vertical um, in the solar space that allows folks to tap into solar energy um, where there's an offsite location and you can sign up um, on a platform like WeSolar and receive solar credits directly on your utility bill without actually having to install rooftop solar panels on your roof or actually needing to own a home. So Community Solar, in a nutshell, allows 80% of Americans who did not have access to solar energy before to receive solar energy now through the Community Solar Pilot Programs that's been acted in states like Maryland um, and other 19 states, including the District of Columbia.
0: Mm. Let's we'll break that even more. <laughs> what, is, what is solar? Let's actually just break it down to the, break it down.
1: Okay. Um, I would say solar energy is a way that you know we're able to take advantage of the energy of the sun um, that uses the heat and
0: in, in solar. Sense the word
1: exactly, <laughs> and pretty much it's typically associated. You can have solar on your roof, you can have solar um, on the ground, um, you can build microgrids through solar, and so. Um, yeah, it's electricity that we're able to use from the heavens. And I think that it's a natural resource, um, that can solve some of, some of our energy issues. Um, but that's the whole reason why we're having these discussions now, um, and the Green New Deal to kind of amplify the solar industry, um, so we can, you know, weave off of fossil fuels. Um, so yeah.
0: Thank you for that. That's actually very important. And, and I think a lot of us sometimes we get into this movement, into this work, and we we go from, you know, first grade to junior high school. Uh, I don't even in junior high school anymore. Middle school <laughs> and then high school and then college in the movement. And we just get right into it. Then we start making little acronyms and we just think everybody just knows. So well, thank you for that. And why is solar? I mean, it's. So I'll state this for those who are listening. I know it is critical for us to transition from fossil fuels to clean energy because fossil fuels is killing us. Those who run that company, their business plan means a death sentence for us. And so literally what you're doing is literally creating a plan that gives us life. But more to it, why is it critical for us to transition from fossil fuels to solar or renewables? And then I'm going to get to why you got into it.
1: Right. Well, I mean, it's just not sustainable. Um, The way in which we're powering our homes right now, the resources that we're using will be dried up by 2050. Mm. And so if we don't incorporate renewable energy solutions like solar, like wind, um, Hydro, then pretty much we're doomed. I mean, we're seeing the catastrophic impacts right now due to climate change, and a lot of those resources um, are typically planted in underserved communities. And so, when you look at you know where they're drilling, and a lot of the climate impact, we're the ones that's bearing the brunt ends of it, meaning minority communities. And so, I think as we take on the champion of climate change, we have to embark on solutions that also give the benefits to those who have been impacted the most. And I think community solar is a way for us to one, tackle and solve those solutions, but also empower those who have historically been exposed to the the catastrophic effects or impacts of climate change. And I think community solar does that At least one of the solutions that can target both of those issues. And so I think that's the reason why we should transition. Um, One, to find solutions that uplift the lower tiers of society and not just leave them out um, with the benefits and the tax incentives or the equity savings of solar. You know, we should receive some of those benefits as well. And Community Solar is a model that does that.
0: You know, Crystal, you are amazing because you are the first Black woman in the country to own a community solar company. And you launched We Solar on Juneteenth. It um, became more famous this year, a lot of different reasons, but Juneteenth is still very important for people of color. Um, so explain that, um, get into the business of that. Like one, how did you get involved in that aspect of the entrepreneurial side of it? And then clearly this, the symbolism Um, side? Because you clearly, you know, you picked Juneteenth not just out of a hat. So you understood what that meant for us as a people uh, marching toward freedom.
1: Absolutely. Um, Well, I can start with that question. Um, Pretty much Juneteenth, as you know, um, a lot of people, we didn't read about that in our history books. And um, I knew, obviously, growing up, um, going to Howard, and I thought that with everything that was going on, launching on Juneteenth would give hope to folks that said, you know what, there's a strong appetite to support Black-owned businesses. Why not do it on a holiday that, you know, really shows our freedom? You know, I was... You know, it's not politically correct, but I always had my issues with um, July the 4th and going back to the Frederick Douglass piece um, "What's 4th of July to a slave. And mm-hmm. I thought that, you know wow, we do have our own um, Freedom Day and a lot of our issues is the economic inequities that Black people have faced due to the 300 plus years of slavery and then another 100 years of Jim Crow. And a lot of those barriers where a lot of, you know, even immigrant communities and other marginalized communities were able to tap into um, the in economic benefits right after the industrial revolution um, in the 1920s, when the industrial north was, you know, booming, African-Americans right after World War Two still didn't have my grandfather as a World War Two veteran still didn't have access to upward mobility because of Jim Crow. And so now as a daughter of a World War II veteran who have, you know, the legacy still impacts us not being able to have that generational wealth and the redlining and everything that occurred in our inner cities. Of course, I wanted to launch on Juneteenth because that represents a lot. That's showing, hey, you know what? We've had to endure a lot of this institutionalized racism through our generations. And now we're facing multiple um. Wars, you know, climate change, racial injustice, we've always been in that war. Um, and so, this is a way for me to kind of come with a double edged combo like, you know what, here's a solution, but I'm also making a statement to our emancipation and our freedom. And that's what We Solar is all about.
0: I love that. I love that a lot. Man, I, I tell you, you know, thank you for <laughs> connecting those dots. Let's get to some of the business plan. So, when you launched We Solar, what is the business plan? What is your what is your long term goal? Are you is it a private? Do you want to go public? Uh, you know, how did how, how will it impact how many people um, do you hope to hire at some point in time? And, and you, are you going to be regional? Do you want to be national? I mean, I know it's community solar. So so how does all that work together? What's your business plan for we solar?
1: Well, I mean, right now, um, WeSolar is contracting with um, other developers to do like the customer acquisition portion of it. And so pretty much we're going to be an impact of the industry. And so as pilot programs come online, like in Maryland or Virginia, in New Jersey, um, what we're witnessing is that the industry can change instantly. And so, you know, being someone who I would consider myself, I'm getting my MBA on the streets. I'm a first time entrepreneur in my family is that you just have to be adaptable. So you have to keep your ear to the ground as far as what how the industry is changing, how it's moving. Um, and, you know, staying focused and building the team around the regional policies, as well as the the micro local policies. You can have community solar that passed in your state. But if a local ordinance in a certain county can put a block into, you know, the farm that you was bidding on or working on to do the customer acquisition, then what's your next move? And so, yeah, Resolar does, um, you know, sustainability services, consulting work. Um, we all Also uh, part of the larger conversations, lobbying, testifying on hearing and making sure that Community solar is becoming a household name. So, you know, I'll get paid for speaking engagements Um, and then also obviously doing the customer acquisition. And so really it's just. Understanding the market, being flexible, and then having additional revenue streams because the market is still so new and things can change instantly. You could be working on a project and then out of nowhere the deal dries up. So, what are you going to do about it?
0: No, definitely. Definitely. So, let me ask you this, Crystal, on that. A couple of things. Clearly, um, there is a need for our communities to create our own businesses. That's part of our legacy. And clearly this is something that is this is we saw it's not a nonprofit, correct? No. This is a for profit.
1: It's a for profit with the aim to be a B Corp. So, you know, I am fathering my I am under the wings of Neighborhood Sun in the sense that they have a business model that, you know, I think is perfect and they're part of the B Corp community.
0: It's important for our movement. Our movement sometimes gets really caught and I and might be part of the problem for this, so I don't know, but we get really caught the demonstration um, in the streets. We, we get out there and make a lot of noise. Um, <laughs> but it's important that we have to have different layers right. um, to succeed as we transition. And part of that is in the enterprise model. Uh, part of that is in the legislation model, litigation model, and the demonstration model. Um, and then to some degree, preparation model as we deal with climate resiliency, kind of adaptation. So all these factors we have to discuss, which is what we do here on the coolest show for Black people. Actually, this is a two-part conversation, actually. So one of it just goes to you as a as a as a Black woman CEO who's from Brooklyn and now Baltimore by way of yes. the, the Mecca, Howard University. Yes. Um, yes, you're living in this 20th to 21st century. And you're seeing the conversation of Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. um, and you obviously launch your this company on Juneteenth. June um, How do you feel about that? And actually, let me stop there. How do you feel about this moment about COVID, police brutality, um, uh, pan obviously the pandemic, poverty. Obviously, you're working on to 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 have an impact on poverty, but on this everything that affects. And later on, I know that it's a, there's a reason why you are in Baltimore. Is you're connecting the dots to figure out how you can fight both poverty and pollution at the same time. So, this what does this moment mean to you as as a person of color in these here uh, United States?
1: I think these are historic times. Um, I think that these times will you know, determine the weak (laughs) from the strong. And I feel like we come from, as a people, a very strong history of endurance. And, you know, to me, there's not a time to just bury our our heads in the sand when times get rough or we're facing a pandemic or racial injustice um, is now, I mean, that's always been a fight or a plight of Black people. But I think for me, it's a lot, Um, but To me, I double down in the fire. I feel like I have a personal testimony and background where I was born in the fire. And I think you have certain leaders that, you know, show themselves. And I think COVID really anyone that considered themselves a leader, whether a leader of a religious organization, leader of the community, it separated the fakes from the phonies. Because you had to have a plan when the world was stopping. We didn't know what was going to happen. And those who really stepped up to make sure that, you know, folks, food was still getting to senior citizens. You know, children still had a way to um, receive their education because schools were stopping, sports were stopping. And then you started to realize, like. Who really matters? Are we really paying the people the, the, the ones that really keep the engine of our economy going? They're the real heroes. Um, the industries that really bring service are the real heroes and the ones who you know just keep the machine and the bread and circus going. We'd see you. So it's just like it was really exposure to the you know a lot of companies were trimming the fat. Um, because that was the only way to kind of survive. I think as far as the leadership and entrepreneurs, if your business wasn't really um, of service to the people and really needed, um, you were part of the fat that got trimmed because we just didn't need you. Um, Whereas the services and the people that really were on the front lines and the engines that keep our economy going, they were the ones that were double time and triple time. Um, And so to me, it really just, separated the fake people that just go on Twitter um, that say they have solutions and pop off versus the real leaders that were out there in the community solving the problems when the crisis first hit um, and those who just sat back and didn't do anything. And I launched in the middle of all of that. COVID, racial unrest, because yeah, I am from Brooklyn and I do live in Baltimore, I didn't work from Howard. So it's just like, yeah, I'm I'm gonna come ready. (laughs) I'm not afraid, you know, business is closing and I'm starting because there's a solution that can fix some of this. And I think I'm, you know, one of the leaders that can step up to the plate and be the voice of the community solar industry, as well as, you know, tackle some of these other issues that we're facing every day, especially as a black woman. And, you know, seeing it, I'm, I'm afraid sometimes going to the gas station late at night and I have on a black hoodie, like that's, that's you know, that's scary. And so right now, I just think this was the best time to launch because those who are really are about that life that really have solutions, that's credible, um, that That's not here just for the show. Um, This is the time where your cards will be pulled and you can't fake because you either have solutions or about that life or folks are going to show you or see that. um, Yeah, go sit down. Like we don't need you right now. We need real solutions in a time of a pandemic induced recession.
0: And and let me um, let me do a follow up to that, because there are things that I definitely know. And this is this is my this is my old Howard self in this is that I can look and see uh, you, Crystal, being an amazing CEO and leader. It's not hard to see down the road. Um, you see, see people looking up a few years from now and everybody knocking on your door to, get to try to figure out how to get to Crystal Hansley. And so I want to do a follow-up because I know how I want to make sure one thing you said there, you can clarify. Um, I know how people will replay these tapes and those kind of things. So one thing you mentioned in COVID, um, you definitely have been amazing to launch. But there has been a number of Black and Indigenous, people of color, small businesses that have been decimated during this time of COVID. So let me give you a, a, a chance to just kind of speak to that. because you kind of put it all together? But I want you as an entrepreneur, as a climate um, enterprise um ceo i want you to kind of pull that part out a little more of what you just said so people can hear i want you here to really speak to what do you mean when you talk about covid um being something i understand what it means for so separating the wheat from the tares and literally showing us that we have a moment where we people who were just talking and now it's is a moment for action because people are living and dying but in particular to small businesses
1: Mm. well I was talking mostly you know about the leaders that have solutions so yeah let me just separate that obviously the majority of our economy is is small business owners and black-owned businesses minority businesses were impacted the most and so you know right now and a, and a lot of them are sole proprietors. So they didn't they didn't qualify for the PPP loans and because they just didn't meet the banking qualifications. We sold would never met the PPP loan qualifications um, at the time. So I understand how we're even with the um, the cares Act package that a lot of minority communities um, fell by the wayside because we didn't get some of the monies. Um, through the legislation because we're always on the peripheral of the economy, just still in survival mode. Even our businesses are still in survival mode. And when you're in survival mode, you're going to be the direct target when something like COVID hit. And so my heart goes out to all the black owners um, of businesses that are still trying to figure out their way and pivot um, from this and figure out a new strategy um, but, like I said, as far as the community leaders who are just, I would say, puppet masters, I think those folks who claim that they have solutions at a time when the community really needs you, it didn't really matter if you had solutions for economics, um, if you, for business owners, if you had solutions and in, in as a religious leader, what were you really doing when it got thick? And I saw people in the community who was able to step up and mobilize, and then I saw people that was talking about businesses and then have not one class on PPP loans. You know, like you're saying, "Oh, this is how you make all this money," but you're not showing how Black businesses should tap into the resources. You're a fraud. And so, to me, that's what I meant as far as when it was really time to show those who claim that they know business and they charge people fees for their business services and saying, hey, dangling this carrot over here. This is how you accumulate wealth. But then at the time of the covid, nothing about how these black owned businesses and minority businesses can survive at this time when you're a business guru. That was the issue. And you did have some of those who did pick up the baton and said, "Hey, this is how some of the some of the services work. Um, contact this organization; they can help you fill out this loan or use my attorneys." And really coming together, you did have some of those people. You did have some of those community organizers that you know got with the food pantries, figured out the seniors in their community to make sure that they have food. Then you just had some folks that disappeared, and you didn't hear from them, and it was posting memes and, and and posting old jokes because they wasn't really relevant. They wasn't relevant before. And when COVID hit, they didn't really have any solutions. And to me, they were exposed at that time. That's the part why I said COVID really showed folks who you should really listen to because at the time they really had the solutions and stepped up versus those who kind of claimed that they were experts and they wasn't really experts. They were playing around on social media when you really needed to be coming up with solutions to help folks out.
0: No, thank you for that clarification. That's very helpful. I think it's just very important to people to hear you divide that and explain that. But in that, as you're talking about that, you are now obviously working in, the, the energy sector, particularly within solar. And there is a tremendous amount of um, mistrust and distrust from people of color because of a lot of different reasons for that. I mean, one of the main reasons on the fossil fuel side is that, again, um, they, their product has allowed for our communities, particularly those with coal-fired power plants, where 68% of people of color live close to within 30 miles causes our communities to have asthma and emphysema and cancer. In my home state, it's called Cancer Alley. And that's just, and obviously in Baltimore, there's obviously other poisons throughout Maryland, uh, where I now live, and then throughout this country. And so there's a lot of mistrust, because one thing there, we need power. Uh, We're using it right now. (laughs) We want it. Um, It's important. Um, But at the same time, I don't don't want my power to kill me uh, prematurely. But how do you, in your position, Crystal, how do you ensure to break that distrust that you are, that one, what you're doing, particularly when it comes to community, so which is not as visible, because sometimes you know people can see it on top of their rooftops and they go, okay, I got it, whatever, whatever. But how do you break that that distrust that what you're doing is only not only gonna be beneficial to them from a Physical standpoint, but also an economic standpoint.
1: I mean, to me, that's the meat and potatoes of We Solar is that I saw myself as someone who can step up and help bridge those links of mistrust. Um, And I think it starts with representation. 80% of executives in the solar industry are white males. And so partially, when you hear news from a neighbor or someone that you trust you're more inclined to pay attention or at least listen you you may not necessarily sign up right away but at least you're like okay I trust this person they live next door to me I can you know pull up on them anytime um, yeah I'll listen to what you have to say and so I saw an opportunity where it's just like you know what why not be? another voice where I can go into a community, but I actually look like the people in the community that I'm serving. And to me, that's just one way of kind of building those links of trust um, because of the historic injustice that happened um, where energy companies will come in and promise you savings to your grandma. And then two months later, you know, Aunt Lucille's energy bill is going up. And it's like, no, we don't trust anything that has to do with bg or you saving on an electric bill. We don't care who you are and what you look like. And so that's the challenge where it's just like there's been a lot of mistrust. And so you just can't give up and you, you have to have the passion to really just, Continue to fight, and the squeakiest will gets the most, the squeakiest will gets the most oil. And so I'm gonna be the squeakiest will. And no matter what or how many people don't believe, I'll pull up the receipts, like pull up the you you know, the PSC, the legislation, like look, this is law. You have this opportunity, you know, getting on my bullhorn and saying, hey, sign up. So it's like I can scream (laughs) from the mountaintops, but at least being a, a figure that someone can look at and say, she looks like me, that's not the norm. I might give her five seconds, and to me, within that five seconds, is one piece. If one person listens to me and one person signs up, then that's a huge economic benefit for them, as well as a huge benefit for our globe and our planet.
0: Um, I know that the philosophy industry gets tremendous amount of subsidies. I mean, talk about welfare. Good God Almighty, they they are. <laughs> They are the welfare recipients of all welfare recipients, <laughs> and they get it. Um, where are we right now for those who are now? Going to, now we're going to, we've been kind of having this dialogue. Let's, let's really get into some more of the nuts and bolts of the policy. Where are we right now in regards to the legislation as far as what's happening with solar? What's also what is happening with solar in regards to with this administration? and. What would you want to see now? Also, in this administration, because also you both are in Maryland, so we we'll also get into with Governor Hogan and 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 that in that part of the conversation. For those who don't know, Governor Hogan is the governor of Maryland. So if you're listening, um, you know he is a uh, Maryland is a predominantly Democrat state, and he's a Republican governor. Um, nothing wrong with that, but just wanted to say that for those who are listening in Oregon, where are we right now as far as solar policy? Um, in this country,
1: I think just with representatives like AOC and um, our vice president, Kamala Harris, the candidate on a Democratic Party, she put out an amazing um, Green New Deal plan um, on her platform. And so I think if we elect the leaders that get it. Um, and put them into place that we have that just transition in that economy that will follow it, um, creating the green new jobs that we need. I just think that folks need to understand how critical that this election is um, because you do have some folks like our current administration who don't believe that climate change even exists. And then on the other side, you have folks who want to put policy that tackles those problems and create the jobs. And to me, that's just like the Green New Deal. And I even mentioned like World War II and you know, what that the actual um, New Deal did. For African Americans and minorities. Right now, even like the federal government is still the largest employer for African Americans. And I think with the Green New Deal, that would be a new way for it, you know, parallel to the alphabet suit like Social Security and some of the other wonderful um, programs that came from the actual New Deal. I think the Green New Deal would mirror that. And the ways that we can create some industries and building up the solar industry community solar industry um and likes through programs educating our children and making tax incentives for homeowners as well as local municipalities and state legislatures to capitalize off of all the benefits and spread it down to the populace um so yeah i just think we just have to be vigilant and listen to the folks who want our votes and really research their platforms to see how we're going to create these new jobs and hopefully create green new jobs. Because that's to ta- that to me is the only solution, and the only way forward. A lot of our co- economy is dying off because, as you see, we're being replaced by um, robots. And technology. And so if you don't have new solutions and new industries, that's just going to keep up with, you know, folks believe in social um survival of the fittest. And I think the Green New Deal and the green jobs um, is that appetite to keep up with where we are in society.
0: No, I agree. That's your question is dope. Um, let, me, let me unpack that. I think that's very important, but I want to unpack I get that there is policy that's being put forth on the federal level. You can also you can come back if you want to bring the state level into the conversation, but um, and, I, and I know that there's some state level conversations around solar and renewables throughout the region, particularly here in Maryland and and in Virginia and and in this kind of Northeast region. But let me just kind of go to this. Let me kind of let me let me give you a different scenario to kind of help you with this question. Um, if we're building, there's new reports about how the red line could have helped baltimore if it had been built and and it would have it would have cost so much money but it would have really created jobs and would have actually been good for the environment Um, there are two conversations there's an economic conversation in that and then there's a transportation justice conversation in that you're literally putting forth that your product like it or not is better my your product of solar is a better product than what the gas and oil industry is is rolling out there. Um, can you unpack that part of the conversation for those who are watching? Simply saying that, yes, there is a just, you both, we understand the climate justice part about this, but can you get more into the climate, the entrepreneurial side about this, about literally saying that solar is a better product than is coal, gas, and oil, on the face value and why that's the case not just on the climate value but on just the business side
1: we talk about the red line and we know that was absolute racist because you want to it's it's redlining right red line stop the red line and continue redlining I mean uh, it's it's just crazy how all of this connects um but we know what that's about we don't want poor you know, folks going into the suburbs and having access to um, certain communities and, you know, keep the suburbs um, away from the low income. You know, that's also trending rhetoric as we speak right now. And that's some of the things that the red line would create some of those um, maps similar to like an electric grid. It's a, it's a roadmap. And, you know, we want to stop the roadmap because it obviously eliminates Um, some communities from accessing some points of the roadmap or being able to have these opportunities. And so the savings in community solar is the biggest piece. It creates that economic resilience that we need. We're in a a recession. We don't know what 2021 is even going to look like. And so when you talk about a bill that you have to pay regardless, if you pay $100 and now you can save $30 on that and now you bring your bill down to $70, Can you imagine, like, just to put that into a CD or uh, an interest-bearing account? That's thousands, tens of thousands of dollars for that one family that just signed on and took advantage of this opportunity, and no other product does that. And when you talked about trust in your previous question, um, because this is a new model, But two years from now, I guarantee you the families that were able to now benefit and see wow, like I saved $2,000 already, and I put that money into a CD or I put that money into a stock portfolio that has an average of 7% on a bill that I was gonna pay. Um, regardless, now we're getting into how we create that generational wealth, because that just means additional revenue streams. So now you use the savings to then create a revenue stream, because now it's just collecting interest, and you were going to pay that bill regardless. And those are some of the tools that we don't have access to, or we just wasn't taught as a community, traditionally, not everyone, but traditionally, we're not taught some of those things. And I think this is just one way where, you know, if I'm holding a seminar on Community Solar, that I can give suggestions, hey, make believe this money you're not even saving, put it into an account and see where it's at in 10 years.
0: Um, let, me, let me get, let me please my, my wonky listeners right now with this question. Let's <laughs> get a little deep into it. Um, in regards to solar, the mandate is that we need to transition from fossil fuels to clean energy at a modest rate of 2050 um at a at a at a what people at a current rate people believe 2030 and so in that the question is is that our infrastructure um as it is now uh, even in the best case scenario with a democrat or whoever more more reasonable person leading the federal government and even state government um how do we get there? I mean, is it possible? I guess that's the question. But, but with the need to build up, the model you're putting forth with community shelter definitely helps that. But is it possible, particularly understanding the, our adversary with the fossil fuel industry, doing everything they can to hold on to their last vestiges of power, is it possible for you to get us to the point where everybody can be tapped into solar and renewable so we can actually transition by 2050 or
1: 2030? Um, I want to say that it's, it's going to be challenging. Um, you know, is just, is there enough square footage for um, enough solar ground mount and rooftop to, you know, net zero everyone electricity? I think that's when we're just going to have to tap into other ways of uh, how we utilize our household products and starting with waste, because it's not just going to be the solar energy alone, um, even as we rebuild some of the the grids and our power lines, uh, that's just a mess. So it's just going to take, you know, a combination of infrastructure projects as a whole to obviously bring on more solar. But to me, that's like the the effect where solar can help with the effect. But if we cut down on the waste, then we wouldn't need as much to power our homes or burn as much trash because we're just not generating that trash. So I think that it would start with your psychological mindset and then we can build out from there. So it comes back to education. And if we go into ways and in how we connect culturally to people and under, and get them to understand how climate justice, how climate change is impacting us and the injustice that we face as minorities and underrepresented communities, then we can start showing practical ways of educating people things that they can do and then build around that mentality because not only are we at the same time building out a new infrastructure, putting on solar projects, but folks are also changing their ways and how they live and how they reuse things. And they're more conscious about just their own household. And then that spreads to the local community and then that spreads to the state level. And then that's been adapted as a globe.
0: Crystal, Man, you are impressive, and I want you to succeed so bad <laughs> and, do so, and do so well. It's, uh, you make my work in the streets so much easier if you do that. <laughs> I get to point to Crystal Hansley, the founder and CEO of We Solar. <laughs> One thing I would say that Black women entrepreneurs are the fastest growing group in the country. And so, as you give this bit of hope, also give you a bit of advice to black women looking to start their own business uh, to break into the the solar industry as well. So that's the, you know, what are your ideas for the solar industry? Um, What's your hope? What's your vision? And then what's your advice for other black women who are looking to um, start their own pathway or business or break into the solar industry?
1: Oh, That's such a layered question. Um, I can unpack that. First, I, I would say like my vision for the solar industry would have to be a part of my vision for just society, where it's just like, I don't want to have to worry about getting shot or just the racial injustice just for being Black. And so racial injustice impact every single capacity of our existence as Black people, because that's just everyday survival. And so I can't really separate the two as far as what's my vision for the solar industry without addressing the racial inequality, because that's all a part of it. It's it's all the same. So I don't, I just can't say, oh, I see the solar industry being inclusive and, you know, our children would be so green and they're composting and they're recycling, but we have these other issues going on at the same dang time. And so... (laughs) To me, the vision would be that, one, we pass the legislation um, to combat some of the policing issues that we have. Um, You know, we really have these candid conversations on race um, and whether it's reparations, whether it's tax incentives for ADOS and, and, you know, we got to deal with that, right? That's like the elephant in the room. So once we have like a robust solution that deals with that, then we will be more inclined. Some of the economics will then be I say trickle down to the middle class and the working class within the minority communities to where we're no longer on the fringe of survival mode. But we feel like we're a part of the economy now. And whereas, you know, recycling and green issues have been considered a middle class issue. Now we can feel like, you know what, we're not in survival mode Hey, these are the solutions. Maybe we can start implementing these type of courses in our daycares and our after school programs or our summer camps, because we're no longer on the fringe and worrying about everyday survival. Um, and then moving from there, once we have those general conversations in our communities because this is like a new the new tomorrow right but this is my pictures like if everything was perfect this utopia what would that look like um then once we have those broader green green conversation as far as solar um everyone has access to solar so yeah i want to stay in my cute flat or I wanna get a you know, single family and get married, we I can put panels, or if it's not conducive and my roof is facing north and not south, then I will tap into Community Solar and Community Solar is a household product where we're no longer combating. Is this true? Does this exist? Are you trying to rob me and get over on me? And this world and how I would see it is that everyone knows about Community Solar. We have done the work. Um, voices like yourself and other mediums and politicians have debunked some of those myths and those issues that we face in our, as an industry. Um, And bridging those trust gaps, that would have been um, solved and a a resolution. So where in this world, people realize that, hey, if there's a community solid, not only Is a waiting list for community solar. So the developers are now competing at themselves where, you know, hey, this is just a new industry and we can't build these systems quick enough because everybody wants community solar now because they know that this is actually um, a real thing. And so That's some of my vision as far as like society, um, getting our racial issues in order um, and just bringing the green conversations to our community as a macro level and then bridge it down and bring in solar um, as a more macro level to those who didn't have access before. And then I would say my um, advice for young entrepreneurs and young women that possibly saw my Now This Story or listening to this amazing show would be keep going keep going. Because a lot of times when you're facing, um, you know, you might have an idea, and you're going to talk to your sisters or your family members. And a lot of people are going to say, no, don't quit your job. Don't do this. That doesn't sound like, are you going to be protected? How, how are you going to, you're going to have a lot of naysayers. You're going to have a lot of no's before you have yes. And I, to me, I, I say, listen to your conscience, listen to that inner voice. And yes, you want to have some stability before launching on your own and going out there, but always bet on yourself. Always bet on yourself because you know who you are. You know you're going to get up at 5 a.m. and crank out some work. You know you're not going to go to bed until two o'clock until you do. You know that. No one else knows that. They just afraid. We haven't. I'm the first entrepreneur in my family. You know, everyone had. Factory jobs and was at the bank for twenty years, and you know those jobs, those industries are just not there. Like the boomers, they were lucky; they were so lucky. We, as millennials and Generation Z, we're not going to have those same opportunities unless we create them through the Green New Deal to where we can have those same opportunities like they had because of the New Deal. And so now we're, you know, we're trying to replicate that in a new industrial green way and i think that's the way forward um and if you can tap into some of those ideas and bring your ideas in the tech and in the renewable space which would be golden by like community solar because it's tech and solar um i think you're ingenious and if people doubt you along the way never stop and always bet on yourself
0: mm. crystal where can people find you and where can they find we Solar?
1: Yes, so you can find me on Twitter, Kate underscore Hansley, or WeSolar.Energy, um, that's my website. So it's WeSolar.Energy, Solar underscore Energy on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.
0: Hmm. Well, folks, that is Crystal Hansley, solar advocate, solar executive, climate justice warrior, and in my opinion, American hero. And I am. Rev Yearwood, your host of The Coolest Show. Like what you heard on this episode? Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Follow us at Think 100 Climate and at Hip Hop Caucus on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook visit thecoolestshow.com where you can take action for climate justice right now. You can also learn more about this podcast and donate to Think 100%, which is a nonprofit project. Thank you for listening and all power to the people.